help me out. Good morning, everyone. I mean, it's, I mean, it's 11 o'clock. Y'all got to be up by now. Y'all got to be up with your coffee. I haven't had a full coffee, uh, uh, you know, like a full cup of coffee, like to the level that I usually have like 24 by this time. So I'm trying to reach some energy within me. But I need your help. I need two things from you this morning. I need your energy and I need some rhythm. Can you guys give me some rhythm? How many have rhythm? Raise your hand. Hey, y'all, I got some rhythm. Okay, all right. Well, here's the thing, because uh, we're starting a new series called We Are Grace Church. But I need, it's kind of like we are Fox Sports. No, we're not. Okay, but we are Grace Church. So what I need for you to do is you need to do it real loud. I would like for each of you to stand up. Show me what kind of rhythm you have. And you're like, we are... No, 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 that stop. Okay, all right. So what we need to do, though, I wanted to add this because Josh is back there along with, I think, Carrie, if I'm saying it right, and it's, um, they're going to be recording us because I want to have that in the background next week. So you guys have to help me out. Here comes Pastor Dennis. He's going to help us out. And so let's just do a trial run. Let's not record it yet. Let's do a trial run. <laughs> All right, ready? On the count of three, we're going to do we are, and then clap, clap, Grace Church. Real loud, okay? Let's see what you guys have. You got to be better than the first service, and they did pretty good. Okay, so you got to help me out here, all right? All right, here we go. One, two, three. We are Grace Church. I'm bad, but I know you guys can do better. Okay, should we let it go? Okay, all right. Got it good? Okay. Another one, another practice? Another practice. I said it means Josh is like, y'all weak. Okay, so help us out. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. We are Grace Church. Good. Okay, all right, right. Here we go. Now we're going to record it. Did you get it? Are we going to try one more time now? No, it's the last one. We're recording now. Now, here we go. We're going to do this now. We're going to record it now. Here we go. Ready, go. Ready, go. We got that done. You guys can take a seat. All right. You're like, oh, my goodness. What's he doing now? Sorry. I'm, I can be silly. All right. So thank you, by the way, Pastor, for uh, getting me this, uh, this stool. I needed it. Um, so we wanted to uh, let you know we are starting this series called We Are Grace Church. We're going to be going for the next four or five weeks. And we're going to be talking about who we are in Christ as the church and how important it is for us to know who we are in the church. So we'll be sharing that. You know, as you may know already in the few times that you've gotten to know me up here, um, I love sports. And I love using the analogy of sports because I think it's really helpful. And I love sharing, for any of you Red Sox fans, that it took you over close to 100 years to get a World Series. But you guys should be at least pumping, pumping something out because you've won about three or four in the last 10 years, and we've only won one as the Yankees. So we have nothing to shout out. But I thought about the Chicago Cubs because the Chicago Cubs, it took them, and since they won in 2016 prior to that, it took them 108 years to arrive to a World Series win. Now, to us, when you, any of you who are sports fans, you 
find it a time to be priceless. You know, you enjoy that. It's a precious time. You love following sports, whichever sports it is. But I found a video, a, a clip of how these fans had waited so long to see the Chicago Cubs win. Uh, it's an old commercial about, you know, how priceless it was to them. Let's watch that together. I've been a Cub fan since the late 1960s. Since 1984. 1945. All my life. Born into it. My mom, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, my grandma, my grandpa. We're Cub fans through and through. Let's go, Cubbies! The whole city knew that something else was happening, something bigger. Something we never thought we would ever experience. We always promised, Graham, we're going to take you to the World Series. She's going. Cubbies! This has been on my bucket list forever. <laughs> Remember this for the rest of our lives. You hear yelling coming from every single bar, from rooftops, from everywhere. Now, you may see that that's, that's what was happening in their hearts. I got goosebumps this morning. I'm still getting them. I mean, I don't even like Chicago Cubs. I don't even care who wins in Chicago. I don't like the Bulls. I don't like anybody. But to see the people come together, hugging each other, coming together in a common bond, excited, excited about the fact that a team, one of the teams that they've been rooting for for over 108 years, I mean, 71 years it took for them to win a pennant. I mean, it, it was a long, drawn-out time. But to them, it was priceless. It was valuable. And you could see it on their faces coming together. And I think about us as the body of Christ. If they had to put a meter on our how excited we would be, then we know we're priceless in Christ, that we're precious. That as the church, as the body of Christ, God calls us that. And how excited we are to shout and chant and tell others about it. And we're going to talk about that today. Because, see, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. And throughout the first century, you would see in the first century church in the book of Acts, the passion that was in the hearts of these men, their dedication, their willingness to go through hard times, discouragement, trials, tribulations, to go through times when they weren't sure if they were going to be alive. We know in the book of Acts in chapter 14, we knew that Paul was dragged off and he was killed almost to the point of death. And, you know, again, he would, you would see these men of faith, these apostles that would move forward. But if I were to describe um, who these people are, if I would describe, like, you know, in one word, if I would think about the apostles and the teachers, I, my prediction or my, my thought and my word would be pain. When I think about everything they've gone through, the, ro the, road they, the roads they've traveled, the miles and miles of having to travel to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that the precious Son of God who was brought here from the Father, from, from the heavens to earth, to die on the cross for sin, rejected by his own people, yet was set forth to be the cornerstone, a foundational stone for the church, the inauguration of the church. 
To be able to see that happen where they were willing as the ones who began the church of the apostles and the prophets moving forward and carrying on that message throughout all of Asia Minor and Paul particularly and then carrying and when they were scattered from being persecuted, they scattered into other areas. I mean, when I think about it, that's the pain that they were going through. And so as we look at the book of 1 Peter, we want to we understand that today. And so there's some background to 1 Peter. And so I want you to turn to your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 20, because the book, the theme of the book is the living hope of Jesus Christ. And in the background, it's, it's, it's a background that would, these folks would need that hope to move forward. And as we understand the background, in 64 AD, Nero the emperor burned down the city of Rome because he wanted... He, he, he wanted to build a city unto his own. He wanted to establish a legacy. Many people died and others became homeless. The Romans were skeptical of his involvement in the burning of the city. So the people became hostile. Nero needed to redirect the hostility by making the Christians a scapegoat. Nero quickly spread the word that the Christians did it. Shortly, the Romans began to persecute Christians, even to the point where Nero took the advantage and the leverage of establishing it. He, he, he began um, to kill them. Specifically, he used them as human torches for the city in the evenings. The persecutions were devastating and unexplainable, but Peter wanted to encourage them in how to live victorious in the midst of the aggression. That's why the theme of his writing was the living hope of Jesus Christ. Now, you got to understand, these folks, what they were doing was, you saw loved ones, people, husbands, wives, cousins, brothers, sisters, family members who were being killed right before their eyes. They saw loved ones not just being killed, but burned to a stake, and then they would see their bodies burned, and they were human torches for the evening so people could walk through the city. I mean, it was a legacy for Rome and a legacy for Nero but it was despicable for the people of God. And they persecuted and killed him. And we have to understand in third world countries, people are being killed for this purpose, for the name of Jesus Christ. And so you have to understand when they're seeing this, how they could become hopeless and helpless. Understanding that when they see their situation so grim, they would not even believe that God is with them. The situation would cause that they would think that God has abandoned them, he's left them. And then what happens is when we think God has abandoned us, we start to turn on other people around us. So we blame God and then we blame others because we don't like the circumstances around us. But these people had something that they had to hold on to. And Peter's trying to give them hope the only hope, because the hope that they needed was not something that was just temporary, something that could just meet their need for an afternoon or give them something. It needed to be grounded in a deep foundational hope. And that's where Peter was writing, and he's highlighting this passage because of the importance of giving them hope, these Christians, because it was important for them to grab on. But here's where, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 1 through 3, we want to look at this and, and just kind of read the first three verses. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and the envy and all the slander. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Now, let's go back here in verse 1. We're going to have to track back. Whenever you're doing any kind of Bible study, you have to look at specific words. And the first word is in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, so. Some of you look at me, so. No, I mean so. The word so is an important word. You know what I mean? It's actually therefore. So when you see there is, you know, what, what, when you see a therefore, you know that it's there for something. And it goes back. So let's look back at chapter 1 of Peter and look at verse 22, verse 22 through 25. Now just follow with me as I read this because Peter is highlighting what was stated prior to this verse 1. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. See, what was happening was Peter was saying, I know you're discouraged. I know that you're, you're, you're seeing your loved ones pass away and being murdered. I know that there's nothing else I could tell you that can encourage you right now. But I can tell you this, that the word of God, Jesus himself, the God that's spoken of the Old Testament now to the New Testament being Jesus, are connected. There's a continuity and he's forever. He's eternal God. And then when you are in Christ, when you have this place in Jesus Christ, you have the hope of eternal life forever. You have the hope that no matter what comes at you, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to a loved one, God is the one who has captured you and and got a hold of you. And his word and himself are forever. See, the word is a rhema, meaning a word spoken back then, wasn't written yet. But when it was written, we know as a special revelation to us, the written word of God. And Jesus, Lagos, is, is the word of God. Come from heaven to earth to die as the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for sin. He met the demand of, of God's holiness. And now because of that, we have this assurance but even if our circumstances seem out of, out of control, God is always in control. And so he's trying to highlight this, but here's the thing. He starts to go back and says, put all away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Why? Well, see, let me, let, me, let me share a few things here. These words are important in this particular passage. Let's just go over it for a second. See, the word rid yourselves It's kind of getting the same concept of putting off the old self and putting on a new self in Ephesians 4. It's the idea of ridding everything that you were prior to Jesus Christ, everything that you would hold on to. Here are some of the things he's saying that they need to rid themselves of. Malice. Now, malice means a mean-spirited or vicious attitude. It means ill will. So when you're looking at someone or something or you don't like the situation, too often that when someone is in a situation, we we just don't like the person. We just don't like the way they are, their personality, whatever. We, in the depths of our being, I call in the basement, what happens is we start to have these thoughts that we never knew existed. And then we begin to create this view of malice. 
And when it comes up and God begins to reveal to us and the Holy Spirit starts to show us, we're like, wait, where did this come from? It could be something from your past. It could be a family member. It could be a sister, a brother. It could be a cousin. It could be someone from your neighborhood of old. God is saying, you may have something deep in you, and I don't know what it is, but God knows what it is. He's the Holy Spirit that lives in you, and the Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity who lives in you, deposited until the day of redemption, is in you saying that there's something here that we need to deal with because I don't want you to be quenching or grieving the Spirit in your walk with the Father. And so there could be malice that's sitting in there, but you got to think about the people there. As they're seeing their situation, they could create malice. Whenever, again, you don't see that God's at work in your life, you start to look at and blame God, and then you start blaming others because God doesn't seem to be working out the situation to your liking. I see that in my life, too. It happens. We have to guard ourselves from that, and that's what Peter's saying Rid of yourself of that. Being reminded. Deceit. It means taking advantage through craft and underhanded methods. It's in line with the enemy. Deceiving, cunning, treachery. Sometimes there could be some of that that could be moving around. It was moving around and the people there. They were struggling. They were finding any way they can to avoid being killed. Even to the point where they had to allow flesh to take over. That they would even be deceitful and deceptive. Envy. The advancement of oneself instead of the joy of other. Have you ever had envy for someone and their situation? Have you ever looked at someone's house and know that they've been blessed? And you're like, Lord, where's my blessing? I'm new blessing, but I don't have mine yet. Deep down inside, I know I see that sometimes in my own heart. Well, I wish I had a house like that. Oh, I wish I had a car like that. I wish I had my kids like that. I wish my kids would be obedient like that. Boy, they're so polite to their parents. My son doesn't even say yes, sir. I have to beg him to say yes, sir. And then my daughter, whenever I tell her something, she laughs at me, Rebecca. And it's like, okay, uh, respect, not here, uh, authority. I'm not, I don't know what's going on here. What in the world is happening to my house? Well, they get buddy-buddy with daddy, and they forget that he's, a, that he's the daddy. And so I sit there and I go, boy, I would love for my kids to act that way. But, you know, I've got to be careful. Because people always say to me, your kids are so precious. They're such wonderful kids. And my father used to say, when he's sleeping. <laughs> and for me, when I was a kid, it was the truth. But for my kids, they can't, I can't imagine if they would even come close to what I used to do. But, you know, it's an encouragement. I appreciate it. Keep feeding me because I need to hear that. Because sometimes you sit there and you envy. You have envy for other people and their kids. You have envy for what they have. You know, we might see that as a subtle little sin. But it's sin because it goes deep down in the basement. It starts to resonate. And then it comes out. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I had that in my life. But that was happening then. But now slander, the act of speaking ill of another evil speech, slander, defamation. You know, slander comes real simple. You know how you can slander someone in a nice way? Ask for a prayer request. You know, when you say, oh, you know, I want you to pray for someone right now. This person's going through this, 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 and this. And by the way, I know why they're going through that, because they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. And then, by the way, blah, 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 blah. For you know, it's like, wait a minute, I thought it was just a prayer request. Why did we go down this road? But even slander can be so subtle, because we don't even realize we're doing it. And we all get involved in that. I mean, if I were to track my life, I'd have the same issue. But he's saying to the people here, why is it important to rid of all this? Because he goes on in verse 2. Now look at verse 2. This is important. It says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into 
the salvation that you have. Longing is craving. In the Greek word, it's craving. And it gives this idea that it's a strong desire for something with an implication of need. That's why in Galatians 5, 16, it says that we crave towards doing things of the flesh because we see a need and we want to fulfill it. We don't think about it. We just crave for it. But in this case, it's very positive. He's saying that you need to crave, have a passion, an ardent passion for God, for spiritual things, like a child who desperately needs milk for growing and nourishment. So we too, as the people of God, must crave and be fired up for the kingdom of God, for Jesus himself. We need to do that. But sometimes we become a little bit apathetic. And God's saying, I want you to crave some more. Because it's not what we do here in the building. It's not how we create the household of God here. It's not simply just the music in the word, but it's the spirit of God moving in the music. It's the spirit of God moving in the word of God. It's the spirit of God moving the hearts of people that makes it a work of God. But it's not something that we can create in and of ourselves. So the craving and the longing is down in the basement where God is doing a work in each one of us. And so here's the key component here in verse 3 going into verse 4. Because he goes, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Then he goes in verse 4 and stops right there at the comma. As you come to him. There's a connection, a correlation in the Greek that brings verse 4, that phrase, back to verse 3. Because when we come to understand and know and realize and taste that the Lord is good, then we experience his grace and his mercy and his love. And then when we're going through difficult times and trials and tribulations, things that are out of control, it is then we turn to God and we draw close to him. So the first point is a drawing near to the priceless cornerstone to Jesus. Drawing near to him because as you come, meaning a drawing, this is from Psalm 34, 8. Because David was making highlight of that he would draw near to God in his heartache, in his pain. He said, those are near, in verse 18, near to the brokenhearted. God is near to the brokenhearted. So he was brokenhearted and he would turn to God. That was mostly of his writings in the Psalms. Drawing near to God. And through drawing near to God, now what Peter's doing is correlating David, who is speaking of the God of Israel, to now Peter's talking about this Jesus, the cornerstone, and the God of Israel, Elohim, Yahweh, the self-existing God, is now in Jesus, Curios, Yahweh, making a continuity connection of the Father and the Son. We have to understand something about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The beautiful, harmonious unity of the Trinity is that there's a community existing within it that they have a relationship. The Son never does anything without the Father, and the Father does nothing without the Son, and the Spirit always glorifies Jesus. And even though there's a hierarchy of the Father, the beauty of it is that the roles come together in such beautiful unity and harmonious unity that it comes together where they have a work of a relationship. And so the, Jesus was close to the Father. And Peter's saying, you need to be close to the Father through Jesus. And that beauty is that when we're drawing near to God, then we understand and experience intimacy with God. Doesn't mean our situation is good. It's going to be messy. Doesn't mean everything's lined up in order. If you're an organizer and you're excited about being organized and you love organization, don't join the ministry. Don't join the ministry. It's going to get messy. You can go. Now, if you can be organized and handle some mess, then it's okay. But why I'm saying that is because sometimes we try to create something outside of what God's already 
establish. Grace and mercy and kindness can be messy. But grace and mercy and kindness is incredible because we all need it. And so when we draw near to God with our malice, with our slander, with our envy, with our sin, God is there to receive us. And what does he call us? The Bible says he calls us priceless, precious. We are precious. But why is it sometimes we don't draw near to God? Let me just share a few things here. Because top there it says, in our pain, we should turn to God and not away from him. There are three types of people here that I'm going to share in these, in these particular points. One is isolators. Isolators, if we're isolators, when we're hurting, we cover up. And you know, I got to be honest with you, the beauty of it is that when we're isolators, we're not trying to, I don't think people are purposely trying to avoid people. I think sometimes isolators don't want to burden people. I think sometimes, I've learned this over the years, that people who are more introverted and isolated are people who are afraid, I don't want to burden anyone with my problems. I don't want to weigh them down. But the beauty is that if they would take that to God, then they would be set free. I've had a lot of friends, a lot of people I've ministered to that God has allowed me to see that happen when they were broken free. And I don't think that that, that particular person is someone who has to sit in isolation. They can surrender and be set free. When they're hurting, they protect themselves. When they're hurting, they can make excuses and focus on others. They're, they want to take the attention off of themselves and talk about somebody else because they don't want anybody to know because they don't want to burden them. And God's saying, come to me in your pain. Don't run away from me and escape. Secondly, in our pain, we should not look to man's approval. These are injectors. These are the types of people that are, there's a, there's a wide range of them, and they're injectors, I call them. They're people pleasers. I don't want to be rejected by man, so they want to make sure everybody's happy. Uh, I, I went through this in my life. God had to change me, and she, he used my wife to do that. There are many pastors that struggle with no, so they just say yes. They're afraid to say no. They don't want to hurt, any, hurt anybody's feelings. You can't do ministry that way, and you sure enough can't have relationships that way. you got to have someone honest in your life. Perfect peace. Those types of people, no confrontation because we don't want to upset anyone. No, confront no confrontation. My wife and I, we make a great pair. I confront, she doesn't. It's a beautiful pair. She always counts on me to talk to people. Honey, uh, can, you, can you call these people? Joy, I don't have time for that. Please, can you just? I said, okay, because they really need someone like you right now. Or is it you need someone like me? doesn't matter. You just deal with it, okay? Okay, honey. All right, I'll do it. Then you have the legalist. They don't care what man thinks. It's all about laws, rules, and regulations. They're emotionless. They don't care. They're like, hey, oh, you know, these are the rules. Love it or leave it. Just leave. Thankfully, we don't have anybody in this church, right? Grace Church doesn't have anybody like that, right? Okay, all right. But then you have aggressors. I'm going to set everyone straight. Now, I know this one because my father was an aggressor. It was tough growing up. But I, I have to thank God because before he passed away in 2000, I was able to have a sweet time with him. Because my father was tough, but then I saw him cry a few times. When he talked about my grandmother, he would cry. Um, when my mom wasn't doing well one time and, and she was getting an operation and we were little kids, he was crying. 
I said, wow, he does love my, my mother. I say, it's my mother. He, loved my, he loves my mother. He loves his wife. There was a kindness in my father that God allowed me to see, but towards the end of his life, we were able to connect. I told him I loved him for the first time when I was 25 years old. But the beauty is that God did that work, but there are aggressors. And how can we help, but we can't look to man's approval to move forward. Lastly, in this section right here, it's in our pain, we shouldn't focus on rejection but acceptance. So often these are influencers. Their pain is an opportunity for peace. Their pain is an opportunity for joy. Their pain is an opportunity for a testimony. You need to have influencers around you. Timothy had a Paul and he had a Barnabas. Barnabas was the sons of encouragement. So he was one who was an influence. When someone like this sees pain, they see joy. There's just something about those people. They just believe God can work through anything. Sometimes others who are isolators or injectors, they see that they're exaggerators. What are you, exaggerating here? There's no way God can work through this. But yet they just see it. And sometimes it's something God can do, and sometimes God won't allow to do it. But they're influencers. And they're the ones that always say, but God, but God rich in mercy. And so Peter was trying to do that here. He was trying to be an influencer for these people. And so as we look at the passage again in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Now, we got to stop there for a second. There's a lot of rich truth here. See, that phrase, reject, the word rejected, in the Greek is in a perfect tense, which means this, a past action with continuous results. And in a passive voice, which means God's doing the work, we don't do it. See, you and I cannot, in God's sight, be chosen pure. We have never created or established our own salvation. It was always but God, God in his mercy and his grace and his love. And here what he's saying, Peter's saying, is that he was a living stone rejected by men, specifically by the Jews, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, let me just stop there because in Acts chapter 2, we know, and and it's a, it's a highlight, and I'm going to highlight something else in first piece. So just keep your finger there in Peter. And if there's Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read that to you. Verse 23, I think I read that last week. If not, I did that with my class. Verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Peter speaking, by the way. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God through him in your midst, as you, you, you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Really what he's saying is that it was planned before, foundation, before the foundations of the earth that Jesus would be rejected. That God established that. He had to be rejected so that then he could die and ri rise from the dead and then give us our salvation. See, it couldn't have happened otherwise. And so Peter knew that, and he spoke that, and he said, the living stone. No stone is alive until God injects that stone to be alive. And the living stone is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you and I, when we're in Christ, positioned in Christ, we now are considered precious before God. And the beauty of it is sometimes I can feel rejected and start to project that rejection on others. I could start blaming family members, even my wife or others around me. Something can happen until I'm reminded that Jesus himself was rejected but accepted in the eyes of God. 
And me too, although I might feel rejected, feel inadequate, insecure, feel vulnerable and transparent, feeling like I can't, I'm not worth much. God's saying that you're precious, you're priceless because my son is priceless and you are too, son. And the beauty is what it gives me, gets me excited knowing that I don't always have to have it all together. I know that God does. And he's in control, and he takes a hold of me, and he loves me just the way that I am. It doesn't give me a license to sin, but it sure enough gives me the hope to know that God loves me, even in my circumstances, my situations, or whatever it may be, God is saying, I love you. You're precious to me. That's the beauty of this cornerstone. That's the beauty of what Christ is. Christ is the cornerstone, and we are the living stones. And that's why when he's saying in, second, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he's, and he's just going further in verse 4 and 5, he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's that cornerstone rejected by the Jews, a stone that was laid at the corner of a foundation that made it strong. That was that important stone that would keep the foundation strong so the apostles and the prophets and you and I could lay upon this. It's called the church. This is the church that moved forward at Pentecost with Peter, James, and John. And the church of Jerusalem started, and this foundation started with these leaders, these men who trusted God, believed God that he could move them forward to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim what he's done, to taste and know that he was good, and he continues to be good, that no matter what I'm going through, my circumstances, even to the point of death, God is saying, you are still precious and priceless. You are one of my own because of Jesus. And the beauty of knowing that is that when you're hurting, when you're down and out, when you are depressed, when you feel like you want to give in, God's saying, you're still precious. That's the beauty of God. It's an intimate yet gentle, loving God. And that's what we have to understand and realize. See, God is moving in the midst. He brought forward Jews and Gentiles together as one church, and he offers this hope. So he gives you this. You are priceless. You are chosen. And you are being built up like a spiritual house. You know, the built, being built up in the Greek, here we go again, perfect, passive. God's work. It's not ours. It's Christ, the rejected stone, who became alive, living, and gives us the opportunity to be living stones, now is doing a work in building up. See, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle, the tent was the presence of God, the mercy seat, where people would go before in the holy place and the holy of holies, and the mercy seat that was there. And the, only, the, only the high priest could go in there once a year, Yom Kippur, the day of the atonement, where he would offer the, the sins of, of all the nation and confess of them. And they would be received mercy and grace and be atoned of their sins. And here, here's the cornerstone offered to us. And here, we now know the presence of God is in us. You and I are to be the church. This is the temple. This is the new temple. We're not a church because of a nice building, nice facilities, nice children's ministry, nice worship team, or even an okay preacher. But it's the idea that you have to understand that the church is you and I are to be the church wherever we go. To be a light, I can't reach people that you're going to reach. The staff can't reach people that you're going to reach. The elders can't reach people that you're not going to reach. You are the one who can be trained of God to reach people and making disciples. The church is the agent to reach the lost. And we can't make disciples until we see someone who's far away from God and lead them to Christ. 
And we're going to see God do that work. But you and I, when we're priceless, when we know who we are in Jesus Christ, when we know that he's carried us through difficult times, we're ready to share that. When we know that he's good, that we can taste him and know that he's good, we're going to share that. When we draw near to him, we're going to share that. So God's doing that work. It's even the word oikos, or as I mentioned last week, the oikodome, the household of God. We are the church. Secondly, too, or thirdly, excuse me, you are a holy priesthood, a nation. And this is the word holy nation is Exodus 19, 6. But a holy priesthood in the New Testament, in the new church, four things I see that would involve the people of God because we're priests, we're representatives of, of God, holy before him because of Jesus. We're chosen by God, we're forgiven, cleansed of sin. Two, confessing sin, access to God when we confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful, just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9. Third, clothed to do service, the virtues of God. We're clothed to do the service of God. Four, committed to do service, obedience. Honor the word of God. Walk closely with God. This is the holy priesthood, the new believer, pure. Just like it said in verse 22 of chapter 1. Purified your souls, obedience to the truth a sincere brotherly love. That's what brings the people of God together when we're doing this. I mean, even spiritual sacrifices is mentioned here in verse five. Spiritual sacrifices in reference to dying to self, offering yourself. Remember the church, the new temple, offering yourself holy and pure before God. And when you confess, God's saying, I will forgive you. You know, the word confess in the Greek it's homo legeo. Homo means the same, legeo means the same message. We agree what God calls sin is sin. So if you're going through something, you're struggling with sin, I would encourage you, rather than saying, I'm sorry, Lord, say, God, what you call sin, I confess and call sin. Help me now. That's admitting what God calls sin is sin. And then God does that work. And he's working in his people. But if you have to understand, too, in Exodus 19, 6, 19, 5, and 6, this is an important verse because God wants to do that work in us. Here's that he's talking to the Israelites of that time, connecting now 1 Peter 2, 9. It says this, Now therefore, verse 5, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all my peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now coming to 1 Peter, verse 9, this is what he says, Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you, and a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him, who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Now that's the, the God who saved us, the work of God. The word proclaim in that passage right there in verse 9, no other time was it used in New Testament. And in Isaiah chapter 43, and in verse 7, and, and even going on 18 through 21, um, Isaiah wrote something 
of great importance to show forth why it is important to draw near to God, why it's important to know the God who created the heavens and earth. And God said this, and everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He says, verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. So God formed us, created us in Christ Jesus. And it is a natural reaction, a natural response to praise him. See, when you and I taste and see that the Lord is good, and then when we draw near to him and we love him and we confess our sin and we rid of malice and rid of slander and rid of envy and rid of hypocrisy, when we rid of all these things in our lives and when God is permeating our life and we're doing it, then we, we see how good he is. We want to proclaim him. We want to proclaim the praises of God because the God of Israel of the Old Testament and the, and the Jesus in the New Testament come together in continuity. The covenants and all come together to show forth that we are people of God, the church, to reach those who are far away from God. You and I have to do that. If that's what our purpose is to make disciples, we've got to be proactive in that. And if you're feeling down and out and your situation's almost as grave or close to being grave like those of the first century people at the time when this was written, when they were being killed for the sake of the gospel, then it's time for us to sit down and say, God, I want you to use me. Here is my sin. Because through confession of sin, God is showing forth that we're priceless, we're precious. And that even if you see your sin, know that when you go before him, you draw near to him, as you don't feel priceless and precious, he's saying, you're priceless, you're precious, come to me. Come to me, all those heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, but the come to me is not the verb in there, it's take my yoke. That's an adverb, but the take my yoke is a verb. We need to go to the Lord. Because when we go to the Lord and when we see his work, then we proclaim the value of the priceless stone. See, these guys are jumping up and down. Chicago won after 108 years. The, the meter went, you know, it was just incredible, the response. How much more will we proclaim? How loud can we get in our lives? How loud can we get when people see Christ in us, when we're living a life that's pure and holy, that God says, you're my priceless possession. I want to use you to reach the world. Here in Exodus 19, 6, there are three R's that we have to hold on to. We're called to reflect his glory, reveal his character, and represent him. We're reflecting his glory because the praise and the glory goes all to God. And that's what Peter was saying. I know it's hard for a century, Christian. I know that you're seeing loved ones die. I know that Nero is a despicable man. And I know you're seeing yourself unexplainable persecution. But I want you to know that there's a God who loves you, who sees you priceless and precious. And he wants you to proclaim his goodness. But do that with each other as brothers and sisters. And then share that with those who are lost. Chapter 2 and on talks about their witness to the unbeliever in Rome. How great an, a, a witness to be able to stand strong when you lose a loved one in persecution. I told you last week, and, you know, there's many of those, you know, those uh, voice of the martyr stories, and people are seeing that, that there are people who are losing family members for the sake of the gospel. And you and I, we have an opportunity to be used of God in an awesome, awesome way. And I want to encourage you that if you're, you're a Christian this week, here's your opportunity. Your opportunity this week 
is to say, God, um, help me. If there's area in my life that needs to be worked on, I open myself up to you. And God, I pray that you would help me to see the true cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to see how precious and priceless I am, even though I don't feel it. And Lord, this is the question I want you to just say, Lord, will you help me share that with someone this week? Anyone, give me the opportunity. I challenge you to just pray that prayer. I assure you God will give you an opportunity. I've seen that happen in my life too often. And all we have to do is ask God for that. So I want to encourage you this week, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to give you that opportunity even now. It's a short prayer. As the worship team is coming up, it's a short prayer. And what it is is simply saying, God, I need you to give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to share Christ with someone this week. Give me an opportunity. Let me pray for you as the team is coming up. Father, I thank you. You're an awesome God and you love us deeply. You care for us deeply, Lord. You want to do a work in us. You want to expose us so that we can draw closer to you. You want to expose us so that when you cleanse us and clean us, you can use us to reach others. God, I pray that you would really, truly, in the name of Jesus, upon this church, move in the hearts of the first and second service and to cause them to see the importance of proclaiming the praises of your wonderful glory and grace. Lord, we thank you. Challenge us this week to share the gospel. I pray right now in front of your people that you would give me an opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.